On today's episode of Making Sense of the Sens, we catch up with former Ottawa Senator Christoph Schubert. He shared a lot of great stories about his time in the Senators organization and tried to explain his infamous breakaway against the Philadelphia Flyers. We also discussed the Sens hiring of new head coach DJ Smith, Josh Norris signing on the dotted line, and a crowded crease with Anders Nielsen back for another two seasons. But before we get to all that, this episode is brought to you by Nine Round Gym, Stronger in 30 minutes. Nine Round delivers the ultimate kickboxing-themed body transformation for all fitness levels. You can pre-register for Ottawa's newest location on Richmond Road, opening this September. Hey, this is Sean Donovan, and you're listening to the guys at Send Central. I'm Drake Patterson, and you're listening to Send Central. We felt we interviewed the seven best candidates for this job, and when we went back over it, there were numerous things that we liked about DJ. This team is going to play hard, they're going to play fast, and they're going to work on a nightly basis. He's pumped, I'm pumped, we're all pumped here. And we at Making Sense of the Sens are pumped too because we have a very big show. Now, we were going to do the episode right after DJ Smith was hired. You heard him off the top, along with Pierre Dorian. If you didn't know, they're both pumped about the situation, but we're pumped that we have more news to talk about. We had Josh Norris signed. Now we have Anders Nielsen signed, and we have a great interview this episode 59 of Making Sense of the Sens. I'm Ross Levitan in the TSN studio with Brandon Piller. Hey guys, what's up? And uh, yeah, like Ross said, the Schubert interview is an all-time classic. This guy was so excited to talk to us. And it's been a rough couple of years for Sens fans, so getting to hear about the good old days, the nostalgic Sens times, was just put a smile on both of our faces. And he's got a bunch of great stories, so make sure you tune into that interview later on in the episode. Yeah, we won't give away much, but we will say there are some great stories from guys about guys like Zdeno Chera, about Dominic Hasek, Ray Emery, Volchi, as he called Anton Volchenkov, and a whole lot more, including Brian Murray, but... As for now, we got to get to Chris Parliament in Woodstock, Ontario, because there's some Sens news we got to get to, Parley. Absolutely, there is, finally. And it looks like it's on the upside, so it's not something where uh, you got to be embarrassed to talk about anymore. It's stuff that uh, looks like we're moving on. Yeah, absolutely. It was funny. Spitting Chicklets even said that the turning point in the Sens franchise was that game in Calgary at the end of the season, or against, was it in Calgary? I'm not. I don't remember the exact game, but it was where the the fan went viral. He was he was like <laughs> yeah. snow tobogganing nine beers in a row, and I mean <laughs> things have been looking up since then because well it started I think with friend of the show Joey Decord foregoing the opportunity to be a UFA. Now Josh Norris wasn't quite in that territory. He would have had to go back for two more years, but it's great getting pen to paper with him. But most importantly, the 14th head coach of the Ottawa Senators has been named DJ Smith, the former assistant for Mike Babcock for the past four seasons with the Toronto Maple Leafs. Before that, won a Memorial Cup with the Oshawa Generals as their head coach. And even before that was the head coach, or rather assistant coach for Bob Bugner's Windsor Spitfires, where he also won a Memorial Cup with the likes of Taylor Hall. But now... He will have the likes of Brady Kachuk, Thomas Shabbat, and the rest of the Sens young core. But he he's come from a situation that was just in a rebuild, Brandon. How do you expect his coaching style to translate here with the Senators? Well, I mean, initially the DJ Smith hiring was almost one of those moments where he just chuckled because if you looked on Twitter, lots of people started ranking how they would How'd like that start, Brandon. <laughs> Well, it all starts with Send Central Twitter account, of course. But a lot of people had DJ Smith either last on their list of preferred candidates to get the job or close to last. So when it was announced that he was hired, it was just kind of like, oh, boy, here we go again. The Sens just are not not doing or going in the direction that the fans want. But after a little time to digest, I actually have some pretty good optimism about this. He seems like a guy that can really connect with young players. He seems like an honest uh, straight shooter that likes likes to joke around a bit. And he's, he said his focuses are going to be to give the guys a high compete level, have some fun, and improve defensively. And 
I think really this is sort of a stopgap decision for the Senators. They just need someone to come in here, loosen up the environment a little, but also have have the guys play at a high intensity just for a couple of years until the rebuild is done and they're ready to contend again. And I couldn't agree more, Brandon. It's something where you kind of felt like this wasn't for a long time, but you need a coach behind the bench. And I think that this one makes a little bit of sense because of the the way he is a communicator. And I'm just going to build on kind of what you were saying there. And what I'm most excited for is guys like Christian Yarosh, because when a player, when a coach comes onto the bench and he's the guy that talks to you every day and wants to communicate with you, he's out there telling guys, this is what you need to do. Play to your strengths. Christian Yarosh, you're not going to be the guy to put up lots of points right now. So go out there skate well, because we all know he's a great skater, play physically, and be a force and a presence in your own end. When a guy knows he doesn't have to push himself, go outside of what he is, really focus on his own strengths, that's going to help him immensely because when he goes out and he does the simple things well, he's going to know his coach is watching. He's going to hear back from his coach, and that's just going to give him confidence to keep doing those things well. So guys like them, the lower guys in the lineup, I think we're going to see good years out of because they know exactly what they need to do, and they're going to be able to do it because it's going to fit their game style. Well, it's funny that you mentioned Yarosh, too, because I'd say DJ Smith, as a player, played a similar style as Christian Yarosh, but that was um, in the late late 1990s and and in 2002-2003 with Colorado, um, just a stay-at-home defense. And, of course, DJ Smith's career was cut short due to a concussion uh, symptom, so he last played in 2003-2004. But he's had a lot of time behind the bench to get experience. So this whole notion that he's a, a first-time coach, I mean, he's been a coach for, for a long time now. I think it's been over 15 years of, of coaching at various levels. So I'm not worried about the lack of experience. Uh, there were some naysayers out there initially because there was a quote, a funny one at that, that Mike Babcock had last year when or two years ago when Roman Polak was still on the Leafs where he said after the game, hey, uh, what what about the Corsi on that hit that Roman Polak separated player from puck? So a lot of the analytics community thought he was just a, a meathead who likes tough hockey, but he answered that question very eloquently at his press conference, said he thinks all numbers have a place and that he'll use them to double-check and triple-check what he's seeing. Now, we know DJ Smith has seen some scary stuff because he admitted to watching 20 games from the Ottawa Senators last season. So what do you think that he could learn from watching those games, Brandon, and how could he implement them into improving right away? Of course, there's not going to be a playoff team next year. That's not the goal, I don't think. It's more sustained further along this development line. But what can he fix immediately? Well, the thing that he really focused on that I liked was talking about the defense and not not exclusively defensemen but the defense of this team as as an entire unit. And what I was really interested in him pointing out was you need to rely on the centermen more to play better defense. And the centers sort of have a log jam of centers in their system without having really a true number one guy, or even it's tough to say they would even have a true number two centerman. So these centermen are going to have to pick up their socks and work harder in the defensive end because you can't just leave this decor out to dry. There's not enough talent on the decor that they can hold it up on themselves and the centermen can just be floating around cherry picking, waiting to break the puck out. So I thought for me, that was the biggest thing that I liked that he said that he's going to work on right away with uh, the Ottawa Senators. Parley, who would you say a perfect DJ Smith type player would look like? Well, I mean, I got to go back to, I'm going to build off kind of what Pillar was just saying. And remember when Colin White came into the league, and I know we've mentioned it a lot of times, but the one player comparable he got was Patrice Bergeron. That's a little bit uh, in the atmosphere now because Patrice Bergeron is known as Mr. Perfect around the league now. First ballot Hall of Famer. Absolutely. But when Brandon Wrench's guy like DJ Smith talking about his centerman playing well defensively, I think we're going to see a lot of growth in Colin White's game in that mm-hmm. aspect. And what I've focused on most defensively as a team, especially with the forwards, is the neutral zone and how they're going to be able to clog up the neutral zone. I'm not talking about the 1-3-1 trap or anything like that anymore. But I remember looking back on Tampa Bay last year and the year before that when they were creating so much offense because they had wingers that could fly and centermen that knew what they were doing in the neutral zone. And if you're able to create turnovers at your own blue line and have 
speed going the other way. I think that's going to benefit guys on his line, like a Brady Kachuk, who we saw go up the uh, wing quite a bit. Maybe an Alex Formington can step into the lineup. You never know about Max Verono next year. So speed is there to utilize. And if they can find a system that works out, that Colin White is able to, guys like Colin White are able to turn the play around and get speed going the other way, I think that's how you're going to maximize everyone in your lineup. But it's going to take growth. And I think if somebody's going to get there, I hope it's Colin White because we'd love to see his game grow. We did this year for sure. But if it's going to be in the defensive side of play, it would be nice to see the neutral zone become sort of a trap at their own blue line, turn it back the other way. Yeah, and DJ Smith was quick to mention J.G. Pajot as a player who's taken off the, on that responsibility before and can be kind of the, the leader of, of the centerman. Not only, it's crazy to think that he's a veteran now after, of course, it feels like yesterday that hat trick when he was a rookie against Montreal in the playoffs. But um, we quickly know every coach when they come in, their systems are implemented and there's guys that excel. And then there's guys who just don't fit the system. Who's somebody that you think uh, won't last long in DJ Smith's good books? It's going to be tough to see guys uh, in the bottom of the lineup if they don't fit in right away, really making kind of a... Mikel Bodker jumps out for me. Yeah, that was what I was going to go with, yeah. Absolutely, yeah. Because if you're not able to play defensively, you're not going to last long and... I mean, that last game of the season where he turned the puck over three times, four feet in front of his blue line, it's not going to work out. Especially this year, you're going to have a lot more guys under contract knocking on the door. So uh, it's going to be tough for Kyle Bogger to stay into the lineup if he's going to play his old game. He, he might excel, but uh, I'm not going to put my money on it. Yeah, we'll kind of wait until the roster's reconstruction shapes up a little bit more to get more into that answer, and I'm sure we'll be talking more uh, about DJ Smith throughout the summer. But uh, one last part is is the question of who else is going to be on the bench. And a lot of people thought Bob Bugner would be a, a good guy to have there. We mentioned off the top of the show that uh, DJ Smith was Bob Bugner's uh, coach, assistant coach in the OHL. But about an hour before we recorded, it was announced that Bob Bugner has accepted a job to go back to San Jose and be their assistant coach. So with him out of the mix... Who are some guys that you think could fit in in a role on, on this bench, Parley? I mean, it's it's tough to look past Mark Crawford just because he's been there before. Uh, I don't be know tough. if he'd accept that. Yeah, I was just going to say, it'd be, it'd be tough for him to have the job for what was four weeks, five weeks to end the season, and then come back into another lesser role. Well, and the same it's thing happened when they interviewed Guy Boucher. They also interviewed Mark Crawford. He didn't get that job, and he took the assistant. No, you can't go back to Crawford. It, it's going to be tough to say because of other guys signing other places. So once things start to settle a little bit, uh, the Senators seem to be the first one to jump out when they hire when uh, they went after DJ Smith and the other six, I think, believe, interviews for the job. So it'll be tough for them to be able to come back to a, a name in that lineup after interviewing for the top job. So right now it's kind of up in the air. Yeah, definitely. That was a tough question for me to ask. I guess the way I should have phrased it more was uh, Chris Kelly obviously made the jump behind the bench when the interim tag was given to Mark Crawford. We know he still has a place within the organization in a development role, but I'm interested to see uh, if he's going to be on the bench next year. Potentially friend of the show, Sean Donovan, can make another step up in the organization. Yeah, that's possible too. Uh, and what I was going to say, Ross, is Schubert talked very highly of Chris Kelly in in that interview. So he he definitely has leadership skills, and he looked like he was doing a great job behind the bench this year. I I would definitely be uh, in favor of having Kelly as an assistant coach. And hey, who knows? Wouldn't it be something if somehow, some way, Christoph Schubert maybe wanted to rejoin the organization? I'll leave that for uh, maybe a little bit later, but. We, we also have to talk about some other things. Do you want to talk about it now, or do you want to go to the interview first? Well, let's hear from Schubert. Yeah, let's, let's go to the interview, because this, like, this guy is just so excited He's to awesome talk, talk to us. He got me fired up. Yeah, we, like, that was the most fun I've had interviewing someone in a long time. He just, there's just so much passion for the game from his voice, and he said it himself. All he knows is hockey. He, 
And I kind of got a chuckle when he said he needs to see the rink. He needs to smell the dressing room. He needs to experience everything that goes with hockey. And, I mean, the three of us can definitely attest to that. It's it's a lifestyle, and this guy gets it, and he's going to be in hockey for a long time. Well, without further ado, let's hear from him. Here's our interview with Christoph Schubert. We are now pleased to welcome a very special guest to the podcast, a two-time Olympian former fourth-round pick of the Ottawa Senators back in 2001. Spent seven of his eight NHL, North American, I should say, seasons with the Senators organization. Played in over 350 NHL games when you factor in the 31 Stanley Cup playoff games, including all 20 during the Sens' 07 run to the Cup Final. Christoph Schubert, welcome to the show. How are you doing, my man? How's it going, guys? Thanks for having me on. I'm great. Thank you. So, uh, Christoph, we're wondering, you said you're living in Hamburg, Germany now. What are you up to, and uh, what's kind of a daily routine for you these days? <laughs> well, um, yeah, when my, uh, well, like my, my North American uh, career kind of stopped, I, I made a quick stop to Sweden, and then uh, about 2010, I uh, came back to Germany, played in the, in the German Hockey League in the DEL for the Hamburg Freezers, and uh since then, I'm here in Hamburg. I live here with my family, with my son, with my wife. And uh, I don't know if you ever heard about it. Three years ago, we shut down the, uh, like our owner is the same owner from the LA Kings. He shut down the, the Hamburg professional hockey here. And uh, since that day, I, I started basically, uh, I went to the third league here in Germany. Uh, I wanted to do that for the fans and everyone here for the city to keep hockey up in this town. So basically, I'm running. I'm still I'm supposed to be still playing, but I had really bad uh, shoulder surgery about a year and a half ago, and I'm not sure if I'd be able to play again. Uh, so now I'm trying to obviously get healthy again. If I can't be able to play anymore, then I'm trying to look into my coaching career. So that's great. While you're recovering for surgery, you're still around the team every day. I saw you came back after, I think it was two years between when you played in the German Elite League uh, to when you came back with the Crocodiles. Great team name, by the way. And you're still putting up points there at what? You would have been 35, 22 points in 18 games. I'd say that's too good to retire. Yeah, well, you know what? I would love to come back on the ice, but uh, obviously I'm not just being on the ice and that with the Crocodiles. I'm also uh, helping out with the team management, try to uh, get new players in, being like a little bit of everything there. And, uh, you know, it's a lot of fun. It really is. It's lots of work. And uh, But you know what? Go see the other side of hockey. Really impressed me how much stuff there really is to do. But like I said, I have so much fun fun with it. Obviously, my the, the shoulder surgery kind of came between. And uh, like I said, I'm still rehabbing. Um, I want to go back on the ice, but right now I, I can't say if, I, if I'm ever going to be able to go back. So obviously now I'm, I'm trying to see where my, where my future will be. So you mentioned that it kind of seems like your playing career is winding down and you're having fun uh, learning about the front office of a hockey management. Is this something that you kind of always thought about doing in your hockey career, transitioning to uh, front office, or is is the game of hockey just too hard for you to leave and you just want to find some way to stick with it? No, you know what? I, I think everybody who knows me, uh, I'm, I just love the game of hockey, and my, I have so much passion for it. And I think now it's time for me, like I said to the last three years, I think now it's time for me. I'm, I'm getting older to give my experience, what I have, to the young kids. You're not just uh, the junior players, but even like the, the early 20s or make it late, start 30. Like, I, I know this game, I think, pretty well, but now I just want to give them, you know, the help to, to get better. And this is what I want. And I just have, I, I need the rink, I need the smell of the dressing room, I need <laughs> the fans. Uh, I love talking to different coaches. That's why um, I want to get into coaching. But I just want to be, you know, the positive mental part. Let's say this way: not everything can go the right way, but you know what? Just stick to it. You got to believe to yourself. And this is what I want to show and give up you now for the next generation. So that's why I, I just need a, a hockey ring around me, and I know everything will be fine. And I'm just gonna. I want to work with a hockey team and. My dream, to be honest, 
go back to the sense I'm telling you right now. Breaking news. We love to hear that. And it's almost as though things have come full circle. Well, that would complete the circle when, I'm calling it now, when you come back to Ottawa. But let's go all the way back to the year 2000. You just came yeah. from the German Third League, where, where you mentioned the Crocodiles, where you were with Landshut, and you made the transition to Munich in the German Elite League. Now, how yeah. does a prospect get noticed back in 2000 in the German Elite League to get NHL team interested in you and ultimately take you in the fourth round of the draft? Well, the, the difference is, though, here in Europe, obviously we started out playing with the under-16 uh, national teams. And uh, obviously you get invited to a different kind of tournaments. I played the under-18, I played the under-20s, but you have uh, a couple tournaments always during the year. So obviously the scouts will come in, they start talking to you, they talk to your agent or sometimes to your parents. And uh, But the thing, it was so differently, like, back in 2000. Like, it's been almost, it's almost 20 years, and obviously... Uh, things changed a little bit at that time, and uh, people are always going to come to watch you play, and then they start talking to you, and then that's it. Like, obviously, I, I just remember when I came over to North America, my English was brutal. I couldn't speak with anyone, and I had a really tough time to get along. And my first two years, even down in Binghamton, they, were, they weren't easy for me. But then my third year, I kind of started to understand how everything works, how the country works, even in the U.S. or Canada. So it, it was a complete different setup for, for young players, especially for European guys. And uh, so that's how they kind of, when I started playing with the Munich Barons and back then, I had a, really a lot of ex-NHL players in my team. And um, that was the one side that really helped me out. I was playing uh, next to a defenseman, uh, Chris Luongo, back in the day he played for the Islanders. He was my D partner. And he kind of showed me where to go. And I had a, a really, really, really good coach my first pro year with, with Sean Simpson. I think you guys know him too. Of course. And he always believed in me. And he's like, Shuvi, you got to do this, you know, do that. Don't do too much. And back then I was a really good skater. And he's like, use your speed and nobody's going to catch you. And that's how how I kind of started my career because people started believing in me. I, I can do, uh, I can show what I can do on the ice and, that's how everything kind of started out. I played my first world championships out of nowhere. I was in Salt Lake City 2002, and there we go. Jacques Moteau was uh, the head coach from Team Canada, and I guess that's where everything started. Yeah, that's crazy. Before you ever played even an American Hockey League game, you had a world championship and Olympic games, seven games at the Olympics <laughs> under your belt. I don't think many players can say that, but coming from Europe, I want to talk about Binghamton. And yeah. the first thing I want to mention, you come from Europe, I'm sure the hockey's a lot more wide open, not as much fighting. And then you come and you're on the same team as Brian McGratton for three years in Binghamton. I think he almost had a thousand penalty minutes in those three years. So, I mean, that's yeah. just how the AHL was back then. How was that whole transition for you? It was tough. To be honest, it was tough. But um, with uh, John Paddock as my, as my head coach for those three years, he always uh, he took me a little bit under his belt. Like, I didn't know first how, how, to, how it works out. I didn't know the smaller ice ring. I didn't know how they're going to play. And obviously, like, you come over there and don't know anything. Like, back then, that, like, this is the difference now. Like, back then, nobody really knew too much about the NHL. Everybody knew what's going to happen there, but you never saw highlights. You, you didn't know um, when the next games. Like, nothing was televised. There wasn't even internet back then. Like, think back, there was no internet. So you couldn't always catch up anything or watch highlights, nothing. So, obviously, I came over after my, uh, when I got drafted, okay, went over to Ottawa, went to the development camp, Randy Lee, and I was like, okay, this is completely different. Then going to Binghamton, start playing my, my first uh, couple games in the AHL, and everybody who knows Binghamton, this is probably the smallest ice rink in the world. So you know you're going to get hit every single time. You have to move the puck, and that was a really tough, uh, transition for me thinking back but on the other hand now that I'm older I think it was probably the best thing I've ever done I had with uh, John Paddock I had a guy uh, who always believed in me he always like sometimes he, he took me after the team was gone I had to come back in the afternoon we went on the ice and uh, you know we did a couple of drills because that guy always said you know what you're going to be a good one but you just got to believe in yourself and he took me under his wing and it was perfect, and I really enjoyed it. 
but the transition the first two years was was pretty hard for me yeah definitely a major transition coming from germany to binghamton for sure so you spent three years in the ahl with the binghamton senators including your final year there in 2004-2005 when the nhl was in a lockout well jason spezza was was sent back down wasn't he yeah so you you were in the year in the ahl where there was a lot of elite nhl players like ross mentioned a guy like jason spezza who had a 117 point season what was that season like compared to your first two years in the AHL? Well, because I struggled so much my first two seasons down there, um, I was I had to, to be honest, I had to thought maybe not going back there because I don't think back then I didn't think I'm gonna make it. Wow. Then I had I had a sit down with my dad about because my contract was over three years. I had a sit down with my dad and he's like, you know what, you go over there, you're gonna have fun now. Start playing your game and just believe in yourself, and then you're gonna be fine. If it doesn't work out, you know what? You come back to Germany, you play in Europe, and you'll be fine too. But just go out there and have fun. So I went over there with Laka. We had Chris Neal, we had uh, Vermette down there. We, we had okay. Chris, Chris Kelly, I'm looking at it now. Health. He was my captain for three years. Like hmm. well, probably the best captain I ever had, next to Alfie. I, I have to admit it. That was unbelievable. But I went over there. I said, what do I have to lose? What do I have to lose now? So I went out, I played, and out of nowhere, hey, that season I played down there with Brian Parker. He was my D partner. We had Wolchenkov. I think we should have, we have probably had the best team in the AHL. But obviously playoffs came along, and then we lost to Wilkesbury. Like, obviously there were a couple of good players in there too, but we should, <laughs> that was the most disappointing probably ever I had to lose out of in the playoffs because that team we had was unbelievable it was unreal everything everything went perfect and it kind of rolls off then because the next year half of your decor was in the nhl you mentioned pothier and volchenkov how was it to have those guys who you had built chemistry with and all the forwards you mentioned too coming up to ottawa at the same time with the veterans the star players like alfredson and danny heatley and those type of guys i think it helped out for everyone because obviously we the good, I, I think I said it about, I don't know, we had this, with the sense once we had a little talk there too, and when we came up from Binghamton after that year, I think the, the well, we never, anybody thought that, obviously you have your star players, but they didn't behave as star players. They really took us, you know, said, you know what, if you need anything, here's my number, you can call me up, and I think we did it, because that really made the change to make us feel comfortable in the dressing room, um, on the ice, like even guys like Chris Phillips, like he said, Shoo, if you need anything, call me up. And you know what? It's probably the first time I, I used that help because there was once in a while I needed some help coming around or getting along Ottawa. And he was there for me. He showed me around. He gave me a phone number, whatever it was. And that made it so easy for us as a group to move up and then make us feel comfortable and as soon as you feel comfortable you can show what you can do on the ice in practice you can you have a smile you can laugh and i think that group what we always had there that was that was unbelievable and when you also came up full-time in that 05 season by the way looking up your first game why don't you tell the story of your first game my first game because <laughs> that wasn't um, even close it's always great beating the leafs but do you remember what the score was Four two? No, no. The one. It, it was a month into the season. You won eight nothing. <laughs> Your first game. That was an eight nothing game. Yeah, exactly. Game? I mean, it felt like every time you guys played the Leafs during those two years, it was it was ten two. It was eight nothing. It was six nothing. Um, but I want to talk about, about another as a young left hand shot defenseman, a big guy. What was it like coming in and seeing Zdeno Chara just dominate at the NHL level, like? I know watching him from the stands, he was the, the yeah. first guy, six foot nine in the NHL. Was he were you kind of in awe watching a man that big move that well? Yes. And like everything he did, like I was just impressed. Like I was just I loved watching him. Because the thing was, like you said, he's such a big man and this guy is such a beast. Like he's a beast. And he works out as as hard as I've never seen anybody working out on and off the ice. Like this guy is honestly nuts. But I just had to laugh sometimes because, but in a good way, because 
I said, look at this guy. This He's six foot nine. He can shoot the puck. He can pass. He can ski. He hits. I said, how much better can it get? So obviously, you, you love to have this guy on your team. And I'm saying the same thing with Mueller. I'm, I was happy I had him on my side all the time, to be honest, because I did not want him to play against him. But it was just uh, impressive to see how how these guys like moved around and how they just dominated the game. So you're still, not, you're, he still does. You're not surprised that Zidane still play? No. Yeah, it just sounds not at all. his like his off ice regiment would just allow him to play forever. Yeah. No, and I'm I'm glad that he resigned again and look at him, he's in the finals again and like I hope I wish for him that he's gonna get another cup. Yeah, well, we'll see. They got off to a good start in game one, so definitely on the right track. Um, Another European player that you had a chance to play with, he was only in Ottawa for one season, someone that is... Uh, I've always been a huge fan of, and that's Dominic Hasek in 2005-2006. I was wondering if you could tell us a little bit about uh, what it was like when he arrived in Ottawa and uh, just kind of what that season was like, having such a such a presence, like one of the greatest goalies to ever play the game in your crease for you. Honestly, that was probably one of the biggest things that uh, I can think of to say, you know what, I, I played with a guy like, dominate yeah and like i don't want to be disrespectful but if you see him without the clothes like without the hockey gear he wouldn't look like a hockey goalie you know what i mean <laughs> and but he was such a nice person like this is the this is the best he was such a nice gentleman to everyone and uh i just remember we had uh i think we had an exhibition in one second maybe a little training camp down in Binghamton. We all drove down there, and I think it was one of the first practices for Don, and he went up to the train, and he said, you know what, I don't know how you guys, you know, set up the uh, the dressing room, so I'm just going to put all my stuff right in front of it, and you hang it up. And when I heard that, I had to laugh so hard. <laughs> but that was him, yeah. and nobody, like... And he always tipped the trainers well after the season, you know what I mean? But this, this is what, that was one of the stories where I was like, oh, my God, this guy is for real. He's like, I just, and he did it all year long. He made just a big pile. He just put it out there and then waited until the trainer hung it up. So I was like, okay, oh, this is beautiful. This is beautiful. So you mentioned that uh, on that team, I mean, there there were some big-name guys. In your first game, Danny Heatley scores four goals. Um, what was it like? I mean, you had probably a front-row seat to Spezza, Heatley, and Alfredson. Uh, just can you talk about their chemistry and, and kind of what you were able to watch from them during those couple seasons? Well, the chemistry was just sick. Like, they, they just knew where the other guy was. and um, But they pulled it off all year long and not just for one year for two years and that was just unreal and Alfie was just he was just the best leader out there obviously Spaz he knew how good he was he just dished the puck around like no one else and then obviously with Hida like feed him and he's just gonna bury those pucks and like how much better can it get and if you want to be a defenseman with these guys and sometimes me and uh, Andre Mazar was like Mezzi we just stood on the blue line and just laughing because they just dominated the whole league and we're like okay this is unbelievable just give them the puck just give them the puck we're gonna be fine so how happy and, were uh, you when when you'd cross the blue line with the puck and you'd see heatley's stick was basically touching the rafters he was always ready for a one-timer yeah. so why not and he was hot like not just for those two years where you scored 50 like he scored like every year he played so but these two years just he scored from every corner and it was so much fun to see. And even if we went to the when we went to the finals, it was it was awesome. It was just awesome. But going back to your question, my first game, I guess we we won eight nothing. Like my first game, I remember um, when Brian Murray called me over on, on uh, in practice, and then he said, "You're gonna play tomorrow." And I was like, "Yeah, you're joking," because I had to sit out the first eight games. He's like, "No, I'm not." So get ready. I said, okay. I'm just, I couldn't sleep. Out of nowhere, I'm standing there. I think I was uh, with Sedano, starting six, hockey night in Canada, wow. in Toronto. So I was like, okay, this is. The ultimate stage. Wow. 
Yeah, so obviously I have to thank Brian Murray too for for everything he did for me. And like I think you, you can't say more any good stuff about Brian because he was probably the nicest gentleman out there. He was a great coach and he made sure that the group inside the dressing room always sticked together and there was nothing better you could ever see. And, you know, I think that's why we were so successful too. And you got to see Brian Murray both as a head coach and as a general manager, but the same man throughout both of that. How how did he contrast as, as a coach versus a manager? You know what? I don't think too much differently because he's obviously been in the league for what, almost 40 or 50 years, like long enough. He He's seen enough. He had many ups. He had a couple lows, but he knew always. He's, he's been always the same kind of person out there. He always treated you the same way. And uh, you know what? Like for me, when I was over there, and uh, I always, I always respected him big time. But I also knew if I would have any problems, he would be always there. He would always have an ear for you, to have a coffee with you, and talk about stuff. And he would never like you know point fingers. That's something he never did, and uh, that's what I really, really appreciate on him. And something that I guess you guys probably had an interesting relationship because he likes big bodies to go in hard on the forecheck. So even though you're a natural defenseman, under him you played a lot at forward. Actually, during the Stanley Cup finals run, you were on the fourth line with Dean McCammon and Oleg Saprikin for the most part. How did playing forward change your game? Well, quite a bit. Like I think Brian... Well, they gave me the the nice nickname, the swingman or versatility <laughs> guy. Um, yeah, but he always said, "Shuby, I want you to play. I don't want you to sit in the stands because I need you and I want you on the ice." So that's why um, it started all out in Carolina. Um, there was a little tragedy started up when uh, Chris Neal's mom had to go to the hospital. I think so. He had to leave. And that's how everything started out, and. Uh, I remember, I think, my first shift, I had a two-on-one, we almost scored. My second shift, um, I think we did score. My third shift, I hit the crossbar. And I think that's when Brian came to me. He's like, <laughs> okay, well, if you do it that good, then you're always going to be on the ice for me. So that's, that was like easier for him to throw me um, on the PK or power play on the point. And then other than that, I played like on the fourth line of wing. But I was I was playing. Um and I know he liked it. I always I tried to do my best, and I think it worked out pretty well. And uh, that's why I, I think I had a chance to play so long in, in Ottawa. And you played, as I mentioned off the top, you played all 20 games during the playoff run. And it's not often that you'd say a, a team that goes to the finals only plays 20 games. But that's because you had a 9-0-1 streak during that playoffs. Between game yeah. three in the first round and game four against Buffalo, just the one loss in overtime. Like, what's going through the dressing room when your team is so automatic in such big games? Well, we just try to stay hot. Like, we just try to, to keep playing our game. And, like, even if we were down by a goal, like, we just believed in ourselves because we knew we can we can change the game again. So that was, like, we always stuck together, those those 20 uh, guys in the dressing room, the, the other guys they had to maybe watch from the stand, but they, they were also included in the group, and we, we didn't leave anybody out. And I think that was such a big part that we just stick together like that and just believe to each other what we were able to do out there. And, uh, yeah, that run, that was that was just, I think, like, unbelievable. Like, I don't think, I don't think anybody did that uh, in the past, like what we, like that hot start what we had there. Yeah, so that obviously an incredible cup run. What were some of your memories uh, during that cup run, and uh, who were who were some of the people in that locker room that you really had good chemistry with? Um, what do I remember? Honestly, um, that series against Buffalo, uh, obviously because Jochen Heck. He played there. My my other German fellow the t- was the T-blades. Uh, so long time. Were you the only German that didn't wear T-blades? There was Heck. There was Seidenberg as well. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I think so. <laughs> <laughs> I, I really think so. Um, no, but that's that was a series I, I really always enjoyed because um, Buffalo, obviously, not too far away, and we we 
just, you know, the little battles, you know how it is. And you know these guys, and you play them quite often. That was really interesting. And I was, just before you guys asked me to come on the show, I, I was sitting down with my son about two weeks ago, and I showed him the uh, the entrance uh, ceremony from our first home game against uh, Anaheim. And I was, well, I still had goosebumps when I saw it, because that, what what I experienced there, or I think everyone who played that year, that was probably the best atmosphere I've ever seen in the whole city and then obviously at the rink. So that was just pretty special. You're welcome, Shuby. I was one of the 19,000 in the building cheering for you guys that <laughs> night. That, that was awesome. Um, your goalie for that entire cup run and actually out, six out of your seven seasons in Ottawa. Um, funny enough, you guys were both drafted in the fourth round of the 2001 draft. Uh, Ray Emery, yeah. I mean, he was thrown into such an uncomfortable situation with Dominic Hasek getting hurt at the Olympics. Uh, what can you say about him? And do you have any uh, fun Ray Emery stories, either from your time in Binghamton or Ottawa? Well, if if I would tell you all the stories now <laughs> between Razor, then uh, we we won't have too much time anymore. <laughs> no, um, honestly, like with with Razor, like you just said, like we got drafted the same year, and I think I, I met him the first time we had the development camp uh, after our draft, and. Uh, Obviously, he was really good buddies or best buddies with Spess and, and Brian McGratton. So he it was probably for him all a little bit easier. We, he, like himself and myself, like we got along really, really well. Like we never had any issues together. And uh, because obviously people try to, you know, give Razor the, the bad guy, whatever. You know what? You got to take the people who, how they are. And me, myself, and him, we got along really well. And uh, except one time, except one time. Now I'll tell you the story. <laughs> we were down in a uh, road game in Syracuse. And, uh, you know, warm up, no buckets, you know, being the cool guys, this and that. <laughs> and um, Razor had such a bad um, glove because every time, like, you know, you do your routine, I take a half clapper on his glove, so this and that. You know, just warm him up. Out of nowhere, I'm coming out around the corner, do my second lap. I look up, and this puck, honestly, is about ah, 20 inches away from me, from my face. So I had to duck down and almost hit me in my forehead. So Razor got so mad at me, a warm-up, that I hit that bad spot on his glove again, so he shot a puck at me. Hmm. I was like, oh, my God, I, he almost killed me. And I think, obviously, we kind of got in a little argument. And he was not happy with me, but <laughs> I almost, you almost killed me there in Syracuse. But, <laughs> but do you not think he's the kind of guy where if he's not giving you a hard time, it means he doesn't care about you? He, he's the kind of guy who wants the best out of all of his teammates. Yeah, well, because he obviously pushed himself so much on his own that he just wanted to be the best out there, and that's why he pushed everyone else. And that's good. I think uh, if you have somebody, especially in the crease, who, um, you know, pushes himself so hard every practice, especially in the games, and be such a threat out there. Obviously, you want to be out there and blocking every single shot. And as much as he always helped us, we want to help him out. And so I think it was a perfect match. Yeah, and uh, Ross and I are former goaltenders goal ourselves, so we can appreciate the anger that comes when you're trying to get warmed up uh, for a game and the guys just aren't <laughs> shooting it where they want, uh, where you want, and you're not getting warmed up properly. So I, I can understand where uh, Razor's coming from with the shot back to the face there. Hey, the one guy who, I mean, probably blocked as many shots almost as Ray Emery, but the last guy I have to ask you about is Anton Volchenkov because he, he used to just eat pucks, man. I think he's still playing in the KHL. How many shots do you think he's blocked in his career? Like over a million? Yeah, well, I honestly, probably about 20,000 <laughs> at least. Wow. That guy's a machine. Like even down in Binghamton, that uh, lockout year, he was down there with us too. And that's, I think, that's how everything started out. I think this guy would just block shots left and right. And like, I don't know me. How many broken bones he had already, but uh, man, he was really good. Like, like Heater, he was really good in scoring goals, and Wolchi was just the best with blocking shots. He didn't bear it down. Like he blocked everything. What so, was he, what was he like around the locker room? Was he always did he always have an ice bag on, or was he? 
Yeah, he he's seen Jerry quite a quite a lot. Uh, <laughs> our therapist back there. No, but you know what? Well, she was a nice guy. I think for him it was really tough to, uh, with the language barrier. To be honest, uh, a couple guys, get it, you know, with the English, like he really tried, and uh, but we always got along. Like we always knew what he wanted to say, but. You know what? He was a fun guy. He was really taking care of his uh, his family, and he always just wanted the best. And sometimes a little bit quiet, but I think that's that's just Walshy how he was. But in the end, if he wanted to let loose once in a while, he was he was pretty funny. Yeah, well, that's great stuff, and it's always great to hear about uh, the old Senators' days. The nostalgia comes back for sure, but. That kind of wraps up your NHL career. I think it would be a mistake not to talk a little more about uh, your career in Germany. And I was very excited when you said you were coming on the podcast because I, I actually am in, from a very German background. My mother was born and raised there. I still have family members there. So to talk right. to a former senator who is also German and played so much time in the DEL, there's a lot of things I want to ask you. First of all, it seems like people don't really understand the hype that the DEL actually has and the fans, they just seem crazy. Just tell us a little bit about what the atmosphere uh, is like in Germany for hockey. Um, the atmosphere is crazy. It's fun. Like you are, if you're a home team and let's say, obviously we don't have so many people coming in as in, as in the NHL because like make the average, let's say 5,000 people come to the game. Mm-hmm. But those 5,000, they go bananas for 60 <laughs> minutes. They have their drums. They have their own songs. They clap, and they're, they're booing. They're going after the, the opponents. They're going after the refs, and it's just it's, <laughs> it's ridiculous. But it's so much fun, though. It's completely different than North America. I really think that North America changed, though. I have to say that in, in a positive way. And because the fans are getting more into it, it's getting louder, and they're more into the game, and they're more allowed to do stuff, I guess. Because back then, let's be honest, 20 years ago, a lot of times we, the fans, they sit and wait for uh, that a goal happens, and then out 20,000 people go nuts. But I think if you're ever gonna go to Europe, and if you're ever gonna watch a game in the DEL or Switzerland or Sweden, you will see. Fans with their, like I said, with their drums and with everything, and it's about a two and a half hour, just noisy, loud, but just really fun. Before we let you go, I also I need an Alfie story. Whether it's on ice or off ice, what was your best moment or memory of the legend himself, Daniel Alfredson? Oh wow! I know I'm putting you on the spot here. Yeah, you do. <laughs> <laughs> um. Wow. Now, okay, we went golfing once. Um, I'm not sure if it now was before the season or after the season, and I don't know. He there was this hole. Don't don't ask me on which course it was or whatever. And it was just a, such a big left hook kind of thing, and it was a par four. And he's like, uh, you know what, should we, why don't you go straight up? I'm going around. I take the left hook and go right on the green. <laughs> he's like, what? I'm like, 300 yards away. He's like, yeah, so? I said, like, yeah, okay, Alfie. So I tried to go straight up, lay down, whatever. And then Alfie really just put out the driver and took the he's like, some people have a left hook, but they don't want to. But he did it on purpose, and he probably ended up about, I don't know. Like he ended up on the green somewhere, and I just looked at him. And I was like, you're nuts. Like, this, is, this, is, this is not fair. <laughs> he, he's the kind of guy, he's just the best at everything, right? Like I heard in ping pong, he used to dominate yeah. and golf and on the ice. Did you ever play keep away with him after practice? Um, I tried. <laughs> I tried, but I, I let it go. I was like, okay, this is not fun. <laughs> but what I heard, because uh, my best buddy Gus is just in town, he's visiting me from Ottawa, and uh, he works out at the gym, I think, down somewhere in, in, the, in the area from Canada. He just told me that Alfie started playing tennis. Uh oh. He must be just winning everything. He's going to be a so, pro. Yeah. He's going to be on the tour next year. Yeah. This is, yeah. So. The, <laughs> I was like, did you ever see him play? He's like, yeah, I watched him. And he's like, he's just whipping the ball left and right, and nobody has a chance. 
So maybe you see all these <laughs> the ATP. You never know. <laughs> There's a, okay. Now my final final question. We're just getting this written in on Twitter. You saw the tweet we put up that we're chatting with yeah. you, and I'm sure that your son probably knows this. If not, if you don't, but. Your breakaway against the Flyers. What happened? If you don't know, YouTube, Christoph Schubert, it's the first video that came up. Did you just forget yeah. where the puck was? It stopped on me. <laughs> no. Okay. I have to obviously explain this breakaway quite a bit. So, have you ever seen me coming out flying that fast? I don't no. think I've ever been that fast. Yeah, you were and flying on that play. One of the best demons from Philly. I don't know, he just drops. I was like, okay, what am I doing now? I got to take this turn because the demon fell down. I'm in full speed, and I got to want to cut the net. So I'm cutting in. I lose, I lose all my speed, and I don't know where the puck stops because I just wanted to take a shot. I wanted to go low block if I, I, was, <laughs> I couldn't make the cut anymore. And then Mr. Richardson came and said hello to me. Yeah, and I... <laughs> I, obviously, if you look at it a couple of times, I could have probably break my neck there. But when I was laying there, I was so embarrassed. <laughs> you have no idea. I was like, you really run from one side to the other, and you couldn't get a shot on that and just get hammered. Yeah, everyone so was, was hoping like, that all your bones were still together. <laughs> Meanwhile, you were just day to day with yeah. embarrassment. Yeah, well, thank God I was fine, to be honest. Like, I that was dangerous. I didn't see him coming at all. Like I crushed the, that nut pretty hard, but I was just embarrassed. Like if you keep watching the video, when I go back on the bench, and I was like, "What am I doing?" <laughs> you could have had twenty six NHL goals, Kristoff. You're stuck at twenty five. Yeah, here we go. <laughs> that was it. <laughs> awesome. Well, thanks so much for coming on, Kristoff. We know that well, eventually you're going to be back working for the Ottawa Senators, but until then. How about being the Send Central German correspondent? We'd love to chat with you again, maybe once next year gets going and, and chat what the current day senators are up to. Absolutely. Let me know. I would love to. Yeah, this has been just a great chat, Shuby, and uh, we definitely look forward to talking to you in the future. Thanks for joining us, and Auf Wiedersehen. <laughs> Auf Wiedersehen. Thank you very much, guys. Hope you enjoyed our chat with soon-to-be recurring guest, Christoph Schubert. It was a pleasure having him on the show. And we talked about one of his former teammates, Jason Spezza. Is his time come full circle? Is he coming back to the Ottawa Senators, Brandon? You know what? I would love it. And especially, I feel I feel a little dirty the way that things ended up with Spezza. With his one year as a captain, I think we all know he really shouldn't have been thrusted into that role. It didn't make a lot of sense. And then trading him one year after... I think he's at a point in his career where he's made a whole bunch of money. So he's not going to be looking for a massive contract or a high dollar amount. He loves Ottawa. He he even said himself, I think it was in the athletic article, that that would be something he would look into. I think it'd be great to have him either as a fourth line center or third line center and running that second power play unit. But the thing is with Jason Spezza, he's not a third line guy. Like He has to be playing playing minutes. I don't, I don't know if and you can justify putting him in a spot ahead of Colin White or Logan Brown. Well, or, you, you, then you can't have him because you can't talk about DJ Smith wanting defensive-minded centermen and then putting Jason Spezza in a bottom six role. But you can't have him playing heavy minutes with the where he's at in his career. I'm honestly more thinking about having Spezza as a leadership guy Putting, trying to make things right with how the centers dealt with him. I'm not really looking for him to put up points or anything. It's more just to be be a leader in the atmosphere, regardless of how many minutes he's getting played. Minutes is a different thing, though. I'm talking about who you would have to play with. You would have to play with offensive-minded guys. Yeah, there's tons of offensive-minded guys that could be on that third line that as as prospects. I mean, you look at a guy like uh, Max Verano. You look at a guy like maybe he could spark Mikel Bodker again. You know, there's... Well, I would play him with what everyone wanted in 2014 when uh, with Bobby, Bobby Ryan, Ryan got sure. traded yeah. to the team. That's, there's so many options, and I mean, we've talked about a bunch of the times the Sens seem to have... 12 third line players so you could make that work without having to put them up against other teams top pairs but i think when when the practice lines are tweeted out he would be on a top two line that's what i'm saying regardless of how many minutes maybe ends up playing you get him on the second power play unit but five on five i don't want him out there too long well then uh, i don't know what do you think parley would you be on on board of spezza coming back 
Well, I think it's definitely interesting to think about because that's when you start to, it, I mean, it'd be a great story, but that's where the hesitation starts to come back in what can he do? What can the Senators give him to work with? And is it going to be enough to make it a valuable move for the Senators? A guy that really jumps off the page when I'm thinking about Jason Spezza is, yes, a Bobby Ryan, but throw Rudolph Balsers on his other wing. Let them be creative out there together. Let Rudolph Balsers kind of be the spark on that line, be the speed. Bobby Ryan, really push him into a power forward role and then just see what Jason Spezza can bring to the table. I think it'd be an interesting line. I'm not sure how much it would work and if it would be something that the Senators would stay with. I wouldn't be mad at Jason Spezza coming back. Yeah, and that's kind of what I'm saying, Parley. I kind of like that uh, line combination too. But also, it's well known that Jason Spezza is a great hockey mind. I mean, so many people talk about how he probably has a future in either front office or coaching. So that's what I'm talking about. Just get him back here in the organization and just maybe try to mold him into a guy that can be like Chris Kelly, you know, who goes into player development and then maybe coaching and maybe an assistant GM. I'm more talking about bringing Spezza back just for the fact to have him back as honestly more as a person rather than for his playing skills. Yeah, I think that's all fair. Well, I heard Bolser's name. He had a pretty good world championship. Yeah. Definitely led Team Latvian scoring. Um, I, and with the talk of Norris, of course, just getting signed, I want to revisit the the Carlson trade now a full season later, not quite a year, but which of those two prospects are you most excited about, Parley? Where, who has the higher ceiling? I'm, I'm kind of torn. I'm a little bit torn, too, and I'm just going to touch on what you said about Eric Carlson there. The fact that his con- he is now a free agent and the Senators got what they got for them and there's ink to paper with Josh Norris, I feel so much better about the situation because he didn't have the cup over his head. He's now a free agent. It seems like now, as we stand, the Senators were the winner of that trade. I don't think you can argue that because of what they have now in the closet. If Eric Carlson had to go, he had to go. I think that was the situation it was. Now to answer your next question, I got to say Josh Norris, and here's why. Anthony Mansa just had a big world championship, and I think that's a fair assessment for a Josh Norris type guy. I know they don't play the same position, but a bigger guy that can skate and has a great shot. And I think the reason Anthony Mansa was so successful, he hasn't been so much in the NHL so far, but at the international, on the international ice, he was able to push the pace and take the outside route. I saw a great video on uh, Instagram when he made that great move to the outside, then dropped it back and there was a goal. I think it was Mark Stone that scored it, actually. It showed him working on that exact thing in practice. Now, we've seen Josh Norris do that a lot. And on the last show, I talked about how Brady Kachuk was using his body and played the game that suited his body the best. I think Josh Norris driving wide and putting a puck on net, making the defenseman turn, and then leaning on him with his size and then getting that great shot off, I think that's the makings of really a powerful player in this league and a guy that can change games. So right now, Josh Norris is a little bit above Rudolph's Balsers for me, but we've already seen Balsers get it done at a professional level. So like you said, Ross, it's a toss-up, but right now I think Norris takes a little bit of an edge for me. The more I watch uh, Rudolph Balsers, the name that keeps coming to mind for me is Matt Zuccarello. And if he can somehow mm-hmm. have that type of career as a smaller guy that that is tenacious on the forecheck, I think, I think I'm probably leaning Balsers a little bit. Maybe it's the logjam at center, and if that seems to shake out uh, somehow between Logan Brown and between Philip Schlappick and between Colin White, I just think there's too many centers here that, that they're one, they're, two of them are going to eat the other two, if that makes any sense. Yeah. I wouldn't be mad at Norris moving to a wing. That's an interesting thought. I, I've never thought about that. Yeah, and I'm I'm on kind of the opposite of Parley, where I would definitely say I'm more excited about Rudolph Balsers. Not to downgrade Norris, but kind of what you said, Parley, is Balsers is already on track. I mean, he had a great year in Belleville, 31 points in 43 games. He played 36 games, almost a half season in the NHL. Mind you, he only put up five goals and nine assists. But they were all towards the end. Yeah, exactly. He got hot at the end, and he showed what he can do. And then coming off a great uh, world championship uh, with Latvia. I think he had nine points in eight games or something like that. So I, th- I'm really excited for what Balsers has to bring, and that was a nice addition to that Carlson trade. And uh, 
yeah, I think Rudolph Balsers has a lot to show. We'd be remiss if we didn't mention the the former captain, Eric Carlson. Um, what what do you think is going to end up happening? He's going to do the the courting period. Who do you think are the favorites to land him? Uh, right now, uh, I think it's the New York Rangers. And Ross, the other day, you tweeted that uh, the Rangers are going to win the Cup by 2021. Mark your words. I had Eric Igor Sheshtiorkin fever. Oh, yeah. As and we all do. Vitaly Kravstov. I mean... Yeah, keep adding to these names of great players that Adam are going Fox. there. Oh, they're, and then they're young potentially Capo Capco at two. I mean, this team is going to be great. And if you can add an Eric Carlson to the mix to play with Brady Shea, I mean, that's going to be big time. That's a city and that Carl the, would love to live in. And how big is Henrik Longfist in his ear? Oh, yeah. Swedes stick together, man. I think it's going to happen. Yeah, that's an interesting take. And before we go, speaking of GMs, as as Carlson getting traded last year, uh, what's one trade you would want the Sens to make this summer, Parley? Wow, uh, that's a big if one. If they could only move um, one one trade, one guy. Um, one trade, one guy. I would trade Cody Cece for Colin Miller and a bad contract. I might have to throw a pick in there to make it happen, but Colin Miller is a good skater. He's right-handed. And it's impressive to watch him play. I think he'd fit in the lineup well because he's such a good skater. It would really help out the right side until Jonathan Bernard Docker's there. I mean, you take a bad contract to make it work, probably David Clarkson, but uh, that would be a trade I'd love to see happen. Yeah, well, I'm I'm not really sure about what trades need to happen. I'm going to wait a little more for the roster to kind of settle before we get into uh, moves that can happen in the offseason. But with breaking news today that Anders Nielsen has signed a two-year deal worth about 2.6... On average, on, 2, 2. On, average one. on average cap hit. Um, something needs to happen in the crease. Like, there, there's just so many goalies now, and it's one of those things where a lot of people will say that's a good problem to have, but the Senators have not been able to manage the crease from the bottom of their prospects all the way up to Andy pretty much at all for the last couple of years. I mean, there's always been a log jam there. And now with Nielsen, there's just so many questions that come with this signing. First of all, I think that this is an okay signing. The people that are up in arms about it on Twitter, I think are looking much more bigger picture, which we'll get into. But for the time being, a two-year deal is not a long time. The cap hit is fine. The sends need to reach the cap floor regardless. So you got to pay some people. And I thought he had a pretty good season uh, with the Sens after that trade from Vancouver, especially with the roster put in front of him. Yeah, so as the contract goes, it's $2.6 million annual average salary, so the cap hit. 2.8 in year one, 2.4 in year two. But what's interesting to me, Brandon, I mean, Mike Condon's the wild card in all this, obviously, due to the successful, by all accounts, surgery. He was skating uh, at the end of the season. Sounds like he's going to have a full off-season of training. We'll see how that looks in camp. But there's such a gap, and especially if, if this rumor of Hogberg potentially going back to Sweden is true, then the gap between your NHL goalies at 38 and Anders Nielsen at 29 years old, and then it's Joey Decord at 22 and Philip Gustafson at 20. You need that kind of middle gap, the stop gap, and that's Marcus Hogberg. And he was the main reason for the success that Belleville had down the stretch. And I think it would be a real shame if he somehow is not in the organization next year. Yeah, well, Ross, you said you feel like the wild card is Mike Condon. I don't even think he's a part of the 52-card deck anymore. I wouldn't, like, he's just, I would say, is an afterthought now. Whether they bury him, buy him out, or stick him in a trade like they did with Hammond, I'm not really too concerned what happens there. The real wild card is, like you said, Hogberg. What does the signing of Anders Nielsen for two years mean about the Senators' look at Marcus Hogberg? Does it mean that they're not comfortable having him be the full-time backup for Andy next year? Does it mean that they want him to develop more in Belleville? Or the third option, which no one wants, does it mean, like you said, they're kind of done with this 25-year-old prospect that they drafted six years ago and are just going to let him go back to Sweden? I don't know, but what I, I can tell you is that if Mike Condon's not on long-term injured reserve, he's making more money than Anders Nielsen next year. He has an ascending salary, so although his cap hit is lower at 2.4 rather than 2.6, he's going to be making $3 million in real money this year, and 
that's not a contract that I don't think the Senators would like to bury in the minors. So unless you're going to be able to swing a trade or add them to the the vacation pile of Clark MacArthur and Marion Gabrick, then I think you're that's stuck what you with do. them. Because you can't have Condon blocking development. Like, Well, then it ha- he has to prove that he's unfit to play. Yeah. Regardless of what happens, I just... If you're a longtime listener, you've probably heard me screaming about the problems the Senators had with Andrew Hammond blocking um, Marcus Hogberg for so long, for too long, to the point where maybe they'll do this with Condon too. The Senators were just loaning Condon out or uh, Hammond out to another team, even even when they weren't using him. Like they were just finding places for him, and maybe something like that will happen with Condon. I'm not sure. But for me, it would just be such a disaster if the Senators aren't able to work something out with Marcus Hogberg. This guy finally had a chance to prove himself, and he mu- he played 31 games in 2019 compared to Hogberg just playing 10 games once the once January 2019 started. So, and he was the reason, the biggest reason. Mind you, there's Batherson, there's Brown, there's Paul. There's a lot of guys who stepped up and helped Belleville climb from out of the gutter and into a playoff push. But without Hogberg, none of that even comes close to happening. So I would ideally like to see Hogberg get some time in the NHL. And you got to get Gustafson going too because he's barely played and he was the centerpiece of that Brassard trade. And he's easily the high, most highly touted prospect that the uh, Sens have in the crease. But even if he if he gets to the NHL in three years, he's still going to be a young NHL goalie. So Is there's that no Hogberg? Run, No, for Gustafson. Oh, yeah. At yeah. 20 years old, right? So whereas Hogberg... I think in a perfect world, Hogberg's the starter in Belleville one more year, maybe gets another sniff like he did in the midseason this year, okay. and then can can go once Andy's contract is up after this next year. And back up Nielsen. And back up Nielsen. Yeah, I'd but, be all right with that, but then where does that leave Joey Decord? Is he just the starter in Brampton? Yeah, I mean... Would, I don't hate that. Would but, you be against Philip going back to to the SHL yes. for one more year? Yeah. You'd be against it? What, what's the point of that? The whole reason of bringing him over, and they even brought him over uh, the season when they traded him for a couple games. Right. The whole reason is to get him acclimated to the North American game. If you're bringing him to Sweden, don't get me wrong, that's great. That's a great hockey league, and he would uh, likely get a lot more ice time and help his development. But I almost feel like that's a step backwards for what the centers are trying to do. In my mind, Gustafson needs to be viewed as one day the number one goalie for the Senators. And if you're not treating him and developing like that, you're wasting him. It's going to be a very interesting time, especially what shakes out in the crease. But there's lots of moving parts everywhere with Colin White still needing a contract. Yeah, Thomas Shabbat. Oh, man. Yeah, well, at least Shabbat would be a full season away. But... You want to get that done before the season starts. Yeah. We don't want to hear this offer sheet stuff. And uh, we're at the TSN studios. I've been producing Leafs lunch this week. You probably saw that uh, we ruffled a few Leafs fans' feathers. I'm sure Sens fans won't be upset hearing that with what Darren Dreger said on our station yesterday. And I got to say, uh, scrolling through the comments was very fun. I had a little bit of a grin on my face the whole time. And I also put up... I think Sens fans will like to hear that because I think Sens fans are still interested in the the Stanley Cup final. I think a lot of Sens fans are are also hockey fans. Whereas I put a, a poll up on, on Leafs Lunch on Monday. I said, Leaf fans, are you interested in this Cup final? Tell me why or why not. We got over 150 replies on that tweet and over 3,000 votes. 79% of Leaf fans could not care less. I got one word for you. Triggered. They do not like that the Boston Bruins have beat them every single time they play, it seems, in the playoffs, and now they're playing for the cup finals. I mean, it's it's a little ludicrous for Leafs fans to be thinking, oh, that should be us, but it they're just not able to let go of that fact, and I'm, I'm with you, Ross. I just love hockey. It's cup finals. It's been the first game was a Bruins domination. We'll see if St. Louis can bounce back and even the series up here. Yeah, that all will shake down in the next week or so. And then it's all eyes on the 2019 NHL draft. We'll oh, be yeah. back to give you a full breakdown before. And we've got a special guest who's going to come on and break down all the picks after they're made. Lots of time between now and then. Go Sens, go and enjoy the nicer weather. And we'll be back chat soon.